Well, good morning, church. It is beautiful to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. Uh, you are joining us in the middle of a series of looking at the names of God. Uh, and I thought I'd probably reflect on the meaning of my own name. And Graham comes from two old English words, gra for gravel, basically dirt, and ham for hamlet or village. So my name is basically Dirt Village. And then you throw in the surname Smith, which meant to smite or to hit, uh, and usually they were hitters of metal. Uh, so basically in Bible times, my name would have been Dirt Village, who likes to hit. Uh, so Hello Dirt Village is not very inspirational. So when Irina, my wife, was pregnant uh, with our first child, a uh, little boy, I didn't want to make that same mistake for him. So I wanted to give him a name with a meaning and substance. Uh, and first off, I liked the name Luke, which means light giving. But my wife, who has a little bit of a Russian background, in Russian, Luke means onion. So we couldn't really well walk around with a child called onion. And eventually we settled on Elijah, which means the Lord is my God. And we thought this was pretty special. What it represents is the hope of what we wanted him to be. Uh, and Elijah was born in Hong Kong, and there are not many Elijahs there. He was the only Elijah we knew. But when we came to Australia, it seemed like everybody was called Elijah. And we, we still like it, and we still think it's special. And while there are many Elijahs in Australia, there is still only one God Almighty, El Shaddai. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, so just a little bit where we've come in the series. We started off by looking at Yahweh, Elohim. And last week, Pastor Timon taught us about the Lord is my shepherd. And we looked at the three Ds, that sheep are directionless, they are defenseless, and they are dirty, but they have a shepherd. And today we look at El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now, why is this important? Why should we be doing this? Well, what we believe about God will affect how we behave. You see, what we think God is like affects how we live. It affects how we think about ourselves. It affects how we think about others. And ultimately, it affects how we think about God and how we treat others. And this leads us to a question this morning. What do you believe God is like? Uh, in the passage that Lillian so beautifully read for us this morning, this is the first time in Scripture that God is revealed as God Almighty. So why now? Why does God choose this moment to reveal himself as El Shaddai? Well, we have to look at who he was talking to and what the situation was. So the Lord is talking to a guy who finds himself in a dilemma. Now, as I said last week, we looked at Lord is my shepherd, the three Ds of the Lord is my shepherd. And this morning, we're looking at the four Ds of El Shaddai. And the first D is a dilemma. Uh, so from chapter 16, verse 16, it says this, 
Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, there's a whole story here. Back in Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Come with me, Abraham. I want you to look up, and you can see all those stars. That's going to represent the number of your descendants. That is my promise to you. But for Abraham and his wife, Sarah, it was not happening quick enough. So they took matters into their own hands, right? Something we would never do, right? But they, just like us, took matters into their own hands. So Sarah comes along and she says to Abram, Hey, Abram, this is my servant, Hagar. Why did you take her to be your wife? and have the child with her. Maybe this is what God wanted all along. Now, you can tell this is going to end badly. And Abram, he just goes along with this idea, like, yeah, sure, Sarah, why not? Great idea. And as you can imagine, this leads to major conflict and hostility and animosity between Sarai and Hagar. So Abraham has pretty much blown it at this point, right? He's a failure in trusting God with a promise. He's dropped the ball. Ishmael is now 13. He's heading to manhood. And Abraham still doesn't have an heir. And he's 99. Yes, 99. How many 99-year-olds do you see having babies? This is no small dilemma. Nelson Lover was also a man with a pretty big dilemma. In 1969, Nelson uh, starts his first year of school. He's a first grader. He's so enthusiastic about school. He loves learning. He goes to school and he has all these dreams about either being a lawyer or a broadcaster. But in his second year, his enthusiasm gets crushed. And he gets crushed for this reason. He had dyslexia, but no one knew it. It went undiagnosed, and he was labeled as lazy and dumb. This is what he says. He says, I grew up in small town Pennsylvania with two hardworking parents who did the best they could. In order to survive in school with teachers who labeled me lazy, I decided to take the alternative route and become the class bad boy. He said he would live in this fear of being called on to read aloud or write on the board. So he chose to become disruptive in those moments. And this is what he said. He said, I hated behaving that way, but I felt I didn't have a choice. Anything was better than being labeled as the dumb kid. When he was 11, his parents take him to the doctors to find out what's wrong. And the doctors come to this conclusion. They say, listen, we just have to tell you, Nelson has limited intelligence. And above that, he actually just lacks serious motivation. So the rest of his schooling life Nelson said was a blur. He just got socially promoted year after year because no teacher wanted the bad kid back for another year, so they just promoted him until 1981. 
And he graduates high school at the bottom of his class. And knowing that no one would hire him, uh, he started his own small business of painting parking lots. And in 1992, at age 29, at an age when all his peers had started careers, they had done, gone to university or been apprentices or anything like that, he's 29 and he has this chance encounter with a stranger which changes his life. Nelson, one day, the stranger comes to him and says, oh, can you please give me directions to this place? And Nelson gave him the directions verbally, and then the stranger asked him, please could you draw a map and write them down? And then he saw Nelson take a pencil and begin drawing a map, and he was struggling, and he struggled even more as he tried to write down these directions. And this stranger happened to be an English professor at Penn State University. And he asked Nelson, have you ever been tested for dyslexia? So Nelson took himself off, got tested, and it turns out he's got dyslexia. He now has a professional diagnosis. He gets tutoring. He starts learning. They teach him literacy skills. He learns all these strategies. And then they find out, because he hasn't ever been able to read or write, he's got these elevated skills of listening and speaking. And they teach him how to take advantage of these skills. So Nelson has this dilemma and then he has this absolute discovery that frees him, this discovery that he's got dyslexia, and it doesn't hold him back, and it changes everything. So too, Abraham has this discovery. Abram's life also changed when he had this discovery, and here it is. This is what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. You see, Nelson needed to know the root of his problem was dyslexia. Avram needed to know the root of his problem was his view of God. What Avram needed to know most at that specific time was that God was the Lord God Almighty, the Lord who supplies my needs. Avram, what you need to know in your doubt, in your desire to control, in your impatience, in your failings, I am the Lord God Almighty. And then he tells him two things. He says to him, Avram, walk before me. Don't run in front of me. Walk before me. And it's kind of this picture of a kindergarten teacher. I don't know if you've ever seen a kindergarten teacher, the way they lead their kids. Uh, they have, they're, they're, they're facing their kids. They get them all to line up. They're amazing. I don't know how they do this. But they walk backwards. It's like, I don't know how they know where they're going, but they know where they're going. And the kids follow them. And they just say, look at me, look at me, and they follow. And that's what the Lord is saying to Avram here. Follow me, walk before me. And then he says to him, Avram, be blameless. And you think, okay, that's, that's a tough ask right there. But it doesn't mean sinless. He says, be blameless. 
blameless. And he's calling Avram into a relationship with him. You see, if you are in a blameless relationship, it means that there is nothing between you, nothing holding you back. You have no reason to blame one another. And this is illustrated in Adam and Eve, right? Before the fall, Adam and Eve have nothing between them. Sin has not come into their relationship, and they have nothing to hide. There is no blame between them. But soon as sin enters, what is the first thing they do? They begin blaming one another, and they begin blaming God. And, and God says, Avram, as, we, as you walk before me and as you repent and we reconcile along the way, there is nothing between us. You know, in, in my house, when my kids do things that they shouldn't, uh, we require repentance. Right, So we sit down and we require that they, they say sorry for the specific thing that's uh, gone wrong. Uh, we, and then we ask for forgiveness for the specific thing. Do you forgive me for this? And I do the same thing as a dad when I mess up, and I mess up a lot. I go to my kids and I, and I say sorry for something specific, and I ask them to forgive me for something specific. And then we ask this question. Is there anything between us? Are we okay now? Is there anything that's in our hearts that still sort of stands there? And let's clear that out. And if they say, no, we're fine, we're good, we're, we're in a relationship now, then we say, you know what? We've dealt with it. It's forgotten. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We never need to bring this up again. And what we're really saying is we're blameless. There's no blame between us, and we are able to be close again. Avram, I am the Lord God Almighty, and I call you into a relationship with me. Then the Lord says, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Now, the Lord is not saying anything new here, right? He's repeating what he's already said to Avram before. Now, sometimes God needs to repeat himself. Do you find that? Well, this time he gets before Abraham and he says the same thing, but Abraham didn't get it the first time. So God adds one thing and he says, I am the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai, the one who supplies your needs. And that's the discovery that Avram needed. He had this dilemma, Lord, this, this promise is not being fulfilled. I don't know how to do it. I take control of it, trying to do it myself. And then I have this discovery that you are God Almighty. You are the one who supplies my needs. And then he makes this decision. What's he going to do? This is what it says, verse 3. Then Abraham fell on his face. The Hebrew literally means he dove face first onto the ground. Once Avram knows who God is, that he is God Almighty, he responds in worship. It is a physical action, but it represents that he is in complete surrender to God. 
It's like Abraham is saying, Lord, I answer to you now. You are the king. I know that you are capable of doing all things. You alone are God Almighty. Amen. You know, I heard of the story uh, of a pastor, and he was going into the service of his congregation, and the people, it was right at the beginning of the service, and, and people were singing. And he noticed uh, one of the members of the church sitting at the back, someone he knew quite well, and they were just sitting and watching. And uh, he, first he was just going to walk past. And then he stopped and thought, I should, I should go and ask him what's wrong. And he had this concerned look on his face. And he went to him and said, hey, are you, are you okay? And he turned to him. He said, you know, sometimes I think all we do is worship God Almighty. Not God Almighty, God Almighty. And at first, the pastor kind of laughed and yeah, yeah. And then he thought about it and he said to him, you know, you have put your finger on something. Sometimes we can treat God as nothing but a mate. And we've lost that reverence and that awe and the fear of God that we should have. At the moment, we're, we're running an Alpha course, and I am loving every minute of it. It's such a privilege to be able to talk to people who are exploring the Christian faith, and you're having these conversations about who Jesus is, why did he die, and I'm loving it. And part of, part of preparing is we have these little discussion questions, and you break out into groups, and you ask these questions. And as I was preparing, I went through one of the discussion questions, and it said this. It said, um, if, if God turned out to be real, and, it was, and he was true, and he appeared to you, what question would you want to ask him? And it's kind of as if God answers to us. It's like, okay, oh God, there you are. Oh God, I've, I've had this question for such a long time. Could you, could you answer this one for me? You know, if God appeared to us, we wouldn't be sitting there, God, oh, could you answer this question? No, we would fall face down in worship. Abraham makes the right decision here. He bows the knee. He does more than that. He falls face down in worship because he realizes that he is standing before God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the stars and the planets. And he's standing before him, and the only thing he can do is worship. So now, with this decision made, God reveals Avram's destiny. This is what he says. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. What a destiny. For Nelson Lover, after he made the discovery that he had dyslexia, he then made the decision to get help. And it changed his destiny as well. You see, he was no longer a no-hoper with no future. Instead, he went on to host the American Storyteller, which was the best show, the most popular radio show in the 2000s. 
Today, he's an independent producer for public radio. He's a public speaker. He's the founder and CEO of an organization called Different But Not Defective. And he is an author. The very kid who was afraid to write on a board is now writing books. And this is his memoir. It's called The Most Unlikely to Succeed. It's not upside down. I know on the screen it might look upside down. That's actually the book cover. My PowerPoint skills are bad, but they're not that bad. His destiny was changed. And now God speaks to Abraham a new destiny. He says to Abraham, I give you a new name, a new identity. You see, Avram means exalted father. And now you are to be called father of nations. You see, Avram, your parents, by calling you Avram, they dreamed that you would be an exalted father, that, that people would look up to you. Well, my destiny for you is so much greater. You are going to be the father of nations. And as my nine-year-old son would do at this point, boosh, Mind blown. Notice the words here. It says, I have made you the father of nations. This is who you are now, Abraham. It's a done deal. Abraham, now that you've seen who I am, you've seen me as God Almighty, El Shaddai, do you see who you are? And then God lists these five I will statements. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and me and your offspring. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God Almighty will do it. Let's look at the first one. Exceedingly fruitful. Who is going to do it? God Almighty is the one who will do it. Recently, we looked at John 15. And the, the plea of John 15 is, Stay in me, abide in Christ, and you will be fruitful. There's this picture that's been painted that, that you are the branches and the Lord is the vine. The branches have no life in and of themselves. All you need to do to prove that is cut off the branch, throw it down, and it will die. But the vine is the one who gives life. The vine uses the branches and produces fruit. We have to look at this and realize it is an I will promise to Abraham, but it is also an I will promise to us as we abide and we stay in Christ. We will be fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings will come from you. Imagine Abraham. He's 99 years old. He's an old man. 
He's a nomad with no home, a wanderer. And he has, you know what, Abraham? Kings are going to come from you. And that's exactly what happened. You know what? We might not see or we might not live to see all that God will do through our lives. But we know that he can do incredible things because he is God Almighty, whether we live to see them or not. And then he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You know, I wonder for those of us who are listening this morning, how many of you were raised in a Christian home with godly moms and dads? There's something to be said for the blessing of being raised in a Christian home, of of having the privilege of being able to point your children to the gospel and introduce them to Jesus. And then your children, if they choose and they follow the Lord and they bow their knee to Him, they then tell their children after them. And they make a difference because they live their lives for Jesus. We leave a legacy long after we're gone as we pass Him on to the next generation because He is God Almighty. I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. You see, the land was a gift. It wasn't earned. It was a gift that represented God's rest. When we are in Christ, we enter that rest. The rest of knowing that on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, Sin had been atoned for. The price of sin had been paid with the blood of Jesus. And in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. We can be free from guilt and shame. All we need to do is rest in His finished work. What a destiny! What a destiny we have. And then He says this I will be there. God. The Lord Himself, God Almighty, the Creator of the heavens and the earth and the stars and the planet and the universe, everything, that God says, I will be yours and you will be mine. Guys, no, none of the other gods, small g, the idols and things that we run after in life can ever truly satisfy. They just leave us feeling empty, disillusioned, disappointed, and full of shame. But the one true God, the God Almighty, says, I will be yours. And you will be mine. We will be in a relationship that will go on forever and ever. And as we stay close, I will satisfy you. You will be most satisfied in Him. I'm not sure what dilemma 
or crisis you might be in. Or maybe you think you've blown it so much that God could never want you and he could never use you. Maybe you think I'm too old or I'm too young. Or maybe right now the outlook in life is pretty bad. I want to encourage you, if the outlook is bad, try the uplook. Look up. Maybe you need to discover or at the very least rediscover that the Lord is God Almighty, El Shaddai, the supplier of your needs. He is not weak. He is not incapable. He is not inactive. He is God Almighty. And then we have to make a decision. And maybe for some of us listening today, it is the first time that you acknowledge that God is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. He is your creator. He is not to be mocked. He is to be worshipped. Maybe for others of us, and I know I'm guilty of this, we can treat God as God Almighty. And really, we live lives like functional atheists. We take control We don't really believe God can do anything. We don't trust in who He is. We don't trust in His power or in His timing. It's time that we make the decision to bow the knee and worship Him as God Almighty. Trusting again in His promises and to walk with Him. To live for His glory and not your own. Destiny. You know, we can be so hung up on making a destiny for ourselves. We can be so hung up on making ourselves look great. Or maybe we think it's just not possible to leave a destiny, to have a legacy, to have a future. It's just not happening for us. It's time to lay that down and to trust the Lord when He says, I will, that He will do it because He is God Almighty, not you. Trust that you are a child of God and your destiny is in Him. I would love to pray for you. And after I've prayed, we are going to worship. And there is nothing like that, that causes worship in us when we realize that we are standing before the Creator of the universe. And yet that same creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth, who made you and me, that same God says to us, I will be yours and you will be mine. Let us pray. Father, we choose to come before you and worship you as God Almighty. Lord, we thank you that you are all-powerful. 
And yet, you love us, and you know us, and you care for us, and you call us to be your children. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, help us to walk humbly before you, to love you and to do justice, Lord God. Help us to serve you and to serve others around us. Lord, we come before you now and we worship you as God Almighty. We thank you for who you are. Amen.